0: Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Daniel Sundall. Daniel is a firefighter paramedic in western Alberta, Canada and has been for the past 20 years. Daniel is well known for his art illustrations for the EMS slash paramedic field, where I have dubbed him the Paul Combs of EMS. Daniel has a strong passion for mental health for first responders and believes a lot more can be done for the men and women in our field. With that being said, Mr. Daniel Sundall.
1: All right. Hi, my name is Dan Sundahl. I am a full-time paramedic firefighter in Western Canada, in Alberta, and I uh, started doing the artwork when I was first diagnosed with PTSD in two thousand and fourteen and the artwork uh, was part of my therapy, as uh, suggested from my psychologist, which I thought was a horrible idea because that means I have to think about stuff. but he was right. And then uh, when I started creating those images to help process and purge these emotions and feelings I had from a long career on the ambulance and an engine fire truck, um, I realized that many of my peers, would look at the images and attach their own experiences to it. And because of that, that really validated me and really changed my life. And it really made me aware that, you know, I'm not alone in how I'm feeling and it's given me the opportunity like this, Danny, to be on your show, because now I get to speak with many of my peers from around the world. Right. And we get to discuss about this stuff. So yeah, it's really cool.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I like I said, I think it's awesome. Um, I appreciate you um, actually contacting me back and it's pretty cool that I'm actually talking to, a uh, firefighter medic from Canada.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I don't.
0: I don't know anybody from Canada, but it's it's pretty cool. Well, that you do, like do an now. International episode.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, you know, you know, one of us now. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're we're no different. We're all the same.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um. So I do have a question. Um. Sure. I so when I saw your artwork, I don't know how I. I don't. Instagram is weird. It's like if you search something and then you go on your you search something on Google, you go on Instagram, it's like all of a sudden, this is like stuff you want to see. So I always said the phone's always listening, but that's besides the point.
1: Yeah. That's, an- that's another topic. That's another <laughs> podcast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but when I was going through your artwork, I was like, and and the, this, this shouldn't, hopefully this should not offend you, but it's like, you're the Paul Combs for EMS.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I'm a big fan of Paul Combs. He's a great okay. guy. Yeah. No, he's, I've met him and we've talked and yeah, okay. Really cool. Awesome. Big fan awesome. Of work. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so how did you like discover y- y- your talents that, you know, I can, I can just sit here and just and draw this. Yeah. Well, I,
1: I've always been an artistic kid. Uh, I guess I was, I was drew when I was younger and I played guitar and my mother really influenced that in me to really, she really encouraged my creativity, which I'm really grateful for. And, I was doing photography. All my artwork is photo based. So it all starts as a photograph. Then I digitally draw and paint on top of that photograph. So at the time I was doing similar looking images of landscapes and, you know, my bulldogs and that type of stuff, which, you know, I was just doing it for myself. It was just a Mm -hmm. creative outlet for myself. And when my psychologist recommended that I utilize that creative part to process, The trauma I had, and now I understand the science behind it, but at the time I thought it was a horrible idea, (laughs) like that means I have to think about it. I'm like, I went to my psychologist, I'm like, look, just give me a pill, Uh so I can be better, so I can go back to work. That's what kind of what I wanted. Right. I didn't want to do the work to get it done. Okay. he goes, yeah, Dan, it doesn't really work that way. So he recognized that I had these, he asked what some of my hobbies were, and, and he recognized that as a potential way to help me process and purge these emotions and feelings I was having. And yeah, he was totally right. So what I do is I, as I have a feeling in my head or an emotion or uh, something from you know the long career that I've had that's stuck with me that usually comes back and haunts me all the time, and I think about that idea, and then an image pops into my head that that portrays that complex emotion or feeling, and then my goal is okay, how am I going to get this image? How am I going to create this image into the physical world? Mm-hmm. And so my medium is through photography. So I'll stage it using my coworkers or when I travel, whoever, and it's usually just whoever's on shift that day. Okay. Um, when I'm traveling, I have this idea, I'm like, hey, can you guys help me out? And they're like, sure. And just whoever's there. And then I stage the photograph. And then when I come back to my studio, I digitally draw and paint on top of that photograph, trying to recreate what I felt. And it's it's an emotional process uh, because really what I'm doing is I'm thinking about it while while using my frontal cortex, which is where the therapy comes in. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm done, it's like I've purged this emotion and captured it into this two-dimensional picture uh, and I've controlled it in a sense. And after that process, I don't have those intrusive thoughts anymore after going through that process. So yeah, it's really, that's going to where it, where it started. So yeah, my psychologist was was right. And once I realized that I could do that for myself and that's where it started, I never intended to create this artwork for other people. It okay. was my own therapy. And a lot of the work that I do still is very personal to me, but I know that others, my peers will connect to it because I'm not unique in my experiences as an emergency worker. I, right. I've learned that, right. that um, I'm just lucky that I'm able to, to portray these complex ideas, feelings, and emotions into something you can look at. And you're like, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's what it means.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your, your artwork, definitely anybody that does fire EMS can relate to it. It's like, cause we've all been in some sort of situation, like, like how you show through your, through your art. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And again, that's not my, my, that's not my intention. I, it's my, the intention is to purge these things through my own head, but again, I'm not, you. it's not unique. Like, I'm not unique. There's nothing special. But I don't try to, okay, well, what are people going to like? What are people going to relate to? I think if I started doing that, you know, my peers would see right through me. They'd be like, yeah, you're just, you're doing this because you're just trying to get likes and you're just trying to sell stuff, right? If I started doing that, then personally, I think I'm a fraud.
0: Right. That's what I think. Right.
1: Right. Versus, okay, I need to be authentic. I need to be, um, you know, real in my own experiences. And by doing that. Then that's how I that's why I really connect with my peers, and that's very therapeutic for me as well. Because then I know that I'm not alone in the way that I'm feeling. So it's uh, it's great for me.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So how did you get into the fire service and fire and EMS service?
1: Yeah, so I was uh, earlier, got pretty early in my life. I decided, okay, I want to have a full life. I want to live like a, a full adventurous life on the edge. So I started traveling the world pretty early on in my life. Uh, so I was living in the Cayman Islands, working as a dive master or training to become a dive master oh. in the Caribbean. And part of that program was rescue diving. So that's okay. when I first learned CPR and like water-based rescue kind of, kind of work. And I loved it. Like I got so excited about it. And one day when we were learning the CPR and water rescue part, On my way home from class, I saw this guy walk across the street and get smoked by this giant dump truck. truck. And I got so excited. Like, (laughs) I got so excited. I pulled over. I'm like, I'm going to help this guy. And I ran up there. And this poor guy was like folded in half. And his foot was by his face. And he was gurgling blood. I had no idea what to do. Because they didn't teach us that in
0: dive
1: rescue class. But I was so excited. And, And then the paramedics showed up and unfolded the guy and took him off to the hospital but i thought man that's where other people would be horrified i got right. super excited right so then then my brother said you know you should be a paramedic i'm like hey yeah that's that would really fulfill my need or my desire to live a fulfilling life and you know it hasn't certainly hasn't disappointed right i i after 20 years i still um you know there's still things that i would go to work and i would never see mm-hmm. you know i'd be surprised every day which which really is living, in my definition, really living a full, experienced life on the edge, which mm-hmm. I, which is what I really wanted. So that's kind of how I got started, or the idea of being an emergency worker kind of came into my head. And then um, I became an EMT. So at that time, our levels were uh, EMR, EMT, and paramedic. And now we're advanced care and primary care paramedics. And I know it's different everywhere, everywhere you go. but right. So I became an EMT uh, and then became an English teacher and traveled the world being an English teacher in Indonesia and Mexico and Egypt. And then, um, in early or late 1990s, I thought, okay, well, I need to go back and get a real job. No offense to that, but that's, that's just right. how I felt. I'm
0: right, right, right. like,
1: I, I really want to, I really want to pursue that passion I had for, you know, emergency services. So I went mm-hmm. back to school and then became an advanced care paramedic and started working full time, at that at that point in the early 2000s and I'd been, I'd been doing that ever since
0: okay and so uh, did you also have to get your fire certification to do yes. the EMS side
1: yeah no so I first started as a paramedic right so I I went to school um, and finished my advanced care paramedic um education and then I got hired on with the fire department that initially was volunteer. And okay. then, then they became full-time. So part of the full-time uh, process of the department was that they needed to hire paramedics because they were also doing it. They were taking over the ambulance at that time. Okay. So it was a big transition for the fire department. So they hired, God, um, I, I think there was eight of us or 10 of us, paramedics. And then they trained us to be firefighters. Okay. Right, so we worked the ambulance. So my, my schedule was, uh, twenty. there twenty 24 shifts. Mm -hmm. So I'd work 24 hours on the ambulance and then be off for 24 hours. Then I'll work 24 hours on the engine and then I'd be off for five days. It's great schedule. Wow. 25, 24 hours on the ambulance was a little bit rough, right? Yes. But we only did it four times a month, sometimes five times a month, right? It was only every eight days, which was, um, which was great. And, uh, and we always had lots of recovery. So I'm a big fan of the 24 hour shifts. I know that's a bit controversial and I think it really depends on the call volume, whether or not it's uh-huh. going to be effective for you, right? But um, uh-huh. I, we, I really enjoyed it, and a lot of us really did in my department. So during that those initial years, we still had the volunteer component of, of suppression and rescue, fire fighting side. So we were um, a combined service. We had full-time paramedics, which is what we did. And then we still had the volunteer firefighters that would come in. And actually, we still had that composite model. We still do that. So we do have uh, a larger – we've grown quite a bit – uh, since then right um but now in order if you want to work full-time in our department you first need to become at least a uh, primary care paramedic or EMT to get hired okay. full-time okay. and then the department will do all your fire training and even educate you up to the advanced care paramedic level
0: okay wow yeah, yeah that's that's neat because so you said 24 on the ambulance and then 24 off you mm-hmm. go back for 24, you're on the engine, and then you're off for five days.
1: Yeah. So if we took one tour off, we're off for like two weeks. It's
0: great. And how that's many shifts? Great.
1: Well, we do all well, okay. that would be that's an that's an eight day cycle. So it's it's this follows the same cycle as as four on four off. But we only did instead of splitting up those two days, so that it's an eight day block. Okay. Right, so we do one day on, one day off, one day on, then five days off for an eight day cycle.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. But uh, did you have like some places call them pl- platoons? Or... Oh, okay.
1: Oh yeah, for platoons. Yes, yeah. so we had four platoons. Yeah, right, Four. four. Got gotcha. Yeah, so we had gotcha. four platoons.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can say mean. that's that's yeah. So like I know majority of the departments in, in, in the in the United States they do uh, 2448, uh 4896 mm-hmm. and there's a big debate. I can say that there was a big debate and issue in my department where you know guys were like i'm not doing this i'm not working two days straight and then you talk to some people who used to work the 2448 and now do the 96, and they're like they love it but i i really believe like you said it, it is all dependent on your call volume
1: call volume yeah and then you know how dan you know how hard it is to any change in the fire service yes holy smokes right yeah any change even if you think it's really good like it's uh like do not change things that we are used to because we were going to resist it right Right. but we we initially in my department we initially went we were on um 48 on so when we went we were at 48 on and then four off then we moved to to the 24 on 24 off so when we went from a 48 hour shift which our call volume at that time was pretty low you almost 48 hours we would only do you know maybe six or seven calls and now and that 24 hour shift we'll do 10 or 12 calls in 24 hours um, so going from a 48 hour shift to a 24 hour shift was great. We're like, uh-huh. wow, this is nothing. Uh-huh. But if you're going from like a 10 hour shift to 24, well, man, that's a big, that's, right. that's a hard pill to swallow. Right. 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 Um, but to have those extra days off, it sure is nice. Yeah. It's nice to have a full 24 hours, uh, at least, you know, in our least. case it was 24 hours and five days off after each shift. Right, So we always had lots of time to, to recover, Right, uh, no matter how bad our shift was, we always had that time to, so when we came back to work the next day, then, you know, we were, we were well-prepared, but you know what firefighters are like, all of us had other jobs and second things going on. Yes. Is, you yes. know, we never, we never stay at home right. and just relax and do nothing. Right. It's like, no, we're building fences and garages and we're, yeah. we're out yeah. doing yeah. stuff. Right. So it's, yeah. um, but yeah, we, we really, we really liked that schedule for us. It really worked for our department. And our call on our on our department size, and our call volume.
0: Right. Okay. Um. Yeah. It's just it's just one of those things, you know. They're doing studies, you know, research about firefighters and that, and you know the way we eat during shift, the way we sleep is not good. uh, Being startled with a bell going off and, and and the schedule, but. I mean, there's no perfect shift out there, but I think it's going to be up to the firefighter to to find that balance. Like if he's at a station that they're just getting their teeth kicked in all the time, then maybe you need to bow out and go somewhere slower and let the young generation Mm -hmm. run, run the calls. Cause you know, they could probably do a little bit better than I'm not gonna say that they all would, but age plays a big factor in this. Oh, a huge
1: factor. Absolutely. And that's, that's a good point. I don't think that's something we, we really talk about too much. And if you read a lot of studies, as far as mental health goes, and as uh, you know, now that I'm just learning about the neuroscience and this new education, this new schooling I'm doing, it makes sense that, you know, the, the men and women that are, that are more advanced in their careers, you know, we've, our pots are full. Like we've, we have our neural plasticity and our neural pathways from years and years and years and years and years mm-hmm. of doing this type of work. Um, You know, we, leaves a toll on us and that's just a normal biological and not the same on everybody. Some people are a lot more resilient to it than others. So that's, you know, that's totally fine. But there's a lot of studies that show that, that, you know, if people that, that are more advanced in their careers are more susceptible to getting, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, which Mm -hmm. makes total sense to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it would be, it would make sense if you have the, the capacity in your department, if you're a larger department where you can move people around, Mm-hmm. then which is really why i like the fire department was and i think most services are you know when you start you work on the ambulance for you know as you to kind of get cut your teeth a bit which is a good place to cut your teeth and this right. is how things are and then as you advance in your career then you can go into the engine and maybe retire on the engine or whatever career path you're going to do whatever options you have uh-huh. then i think there there's there's good diversity there for uh for firefighters um, where you have some options in larger departments. And if the organization can recognize that, mm-hmm. that's an unfortunately, um, in my experience with, cause I've, I'm lucky enough that I was able, I'm able to speak with thousands of firefighters and paramedics from around the world that, you know, the ones that are most successful are the organizations that recognize that in their employees work. Right. It's like, okay, well, Dan's been a firefighter for 20 years, you know, let's, if he, next time we do some shifts, you know, let's ask him if he wants to do more engine shifts than ambulance shifts. Right. Or maybe if he, if he feels that he wants to be full-time, you know, operator engineer, then let's give him that opportunity. He's done his Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. recognizing that, look, we can't have the same expectations from Dan who's been doing this for 20 years. Um, even though they say, well, you know, they should have the same expectations and sure. But the reality is, um, like you said, leave it to the young guys to do the, the stuff that's, that they want to do. Right. Um, cause they're going to be better at it. Right. Right. So they're, and then of course the experienced guys that have all that have the knowledge, they're going to have great benefits to the department in other ways. Right. So instead of looking at firefighters, just as a number, you know, just to fill a seat, it's about putting the human back into human resources, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just, okay, well, you're a butt in the seat, you know, do your job. And if you don't like it and you quit, then we'll just fill you right. with another spot. Right. Right. And unfortunately I see that a lot and I think, uh, and, I'm, and I'm told that a lot. It. Yep. But I, I think, I think more think um, like smarter resourcing of employees would be to, to, Use our benefit. Use our advantage. Use the advantages of experienced firefighters. Put them in, you know, leadership roles or education, or put them in positions where you can utilize their experience. Um, and then also utilize the advantages of of newer, younger recruits that are coming in. Right. That you know you can work them to like they will not stop. Mm-hmm. Like they will just go forever and ever and ever. Um, and there's an advantage to that. So mm-hmm. I think the an organization or management team that can recognize those strengths, individual strengths, instead of just putting us all as numbers and filling seats, then I think that's advantageous to everybody, to the firefighters, to the organization, and to the citizens that we serve.
0: No, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's it's a big problem going on throughout the United States of all right, we don't really have the personnel. Uh, uh, which my department's fortunate we haven't they we they've haven't had to do that to us, but a mandatory overtime. Um, yeah. All right, we can't fill these positions, or when they do, it's like we just we, we need people in the seats. <clears throat> we don't yeah. care about their their technical background and things like that. So I think all that combined is definitely hurting the fire service for sure. Yeah, that that.
1: Yeah, and I see that, and I see that around the world. I see that everywhere. That's mm-hmm. happening. That's happening all over. So for management that's trying to and operations that's trying to, you know, keep trucks on the road, mm-hmm. then yeah, they're like, hey, we 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 don't have the resources to be picky and and manage people. Like we just need someone in the seat so that we can send people to these emergencies. Like right. that's they're kind of scrambling. Right. So yeah, it's and I think COVID has has a lot to do with that. Right? A lot of people left uh the <clears throat> the profession during COVID times and just didn't come back. Yep. So yeah, so there's a big, there's a big shortage for sure.
0: I mean, it's it's crazy because like you you think about all right, COVID happened, everybody was like, okay, stay home, whatever. And then slowly, little by little, everybody started coming back out. But like I could tell you for the fire service world and EMS too, like uh apparatus manufacturers, like it takes, they're telling people now, 41 months to get your engine once you order it. Something yeah. that used to be a year or less has now turned into two plus years. Yeah. And the, 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 the price of these apparatus have gone through the roof and it's like, what happened? It's yeah. just, and, and that, not just fire and EMS restaurants, uh, businesses. Like it's like, nobody wants to work anymore. It's kind of yeah. crazy.
1: I know well, everyone's working from home. Right. Right. And I, I don't know what it was like at your department. I also have a question for you when, when everyone was told during COVID like not to go out, and go in, you know, don't go to the hospital, our call volume went down. Yes. Ours mm-hmm. did too. Right. And we right. loved it. We're like, Oh, this is great. Right, right. Like <laughs> our call vo- Well, I, I was thinking that, you know, as an experienced guy, I'm like, okay, uh-huh. I've done, I've done my calls. Like I'm, I, I don't I want to have the crazy calls anymore. Right. So I loved it personally. I loved it. But right. uh, you know, some of the other younger people in our department were like, Oh man, this sucks. I haven't, done any good calls lately and i'm right i'm like yeah this is great It's great but yes i, I, I was yes. right <laughs> but it's uh it's funny yeah that's good to know that that was kind of a universal thing that that yeah. happened but you know it didn't last very it didn't last long
0: no and, and then of I, course when no, we did ahead.
1: get the call like when we knew we got the call we're like okay if we're getting called to do this it's going to be well it depends on what your perspective is it's either going to be a good call or it's going to be like yeah this is a, isn't going to be a good call
0: right right
1: so um Yeah, it was a very interesting. It was an interesting time, that's for sure. I and I, I
0: kind of feel like now that things are, I guess, if you want to say, back to normal. I feel like the call volume has increased
1: before
0: COVID. Like it's like, what has now happened?
1: Yeah, now they're making up for that for the slowdown. There, right? (laughs) They're making up for lost time. Yeah, I yeah I know, and that's that's leaving it. That's a huge stressor.
0: Yes, and and that's causing
1: a lot of people to leave too, Mm -hmm. because they're like, oh man, I don't. And I think that is, um, you know, there's a lot, I think that can be done for that uh, is to, because it happened so fast and it was just kind of really caught everyone off guard. But I think to, um, to have increased resources and support resources for emergency workers that are working, we can't control the call volume. There's nothing we could do, but we can control the environments that we work in. Right. Right. And I think, and that's kind of my passion is to, is to promote, Trauma informed workplaces where it's easier for us to to manage this increased volume and these increased stresses that we have as emergency workers.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, what keeps you, or what you, you did say before we before we started? You're you're almost there, getting ready to retire. But what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and continue loving what you do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and and I get asked that a lot, and I. I hear a lot of senior guys really, you know, talk down about the profession, and they don't encourage people. Or you have students, and they're like, "Oh, get it while you can." Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, I'm I am not like that. I am a strong proponent of of emergency services. So, someone has a desire to become a paramedic or a firefighter or a police officer or an ER person or dispatcher. I'm like, do it. Like, mm-hmm. if if what you're thinking what it's going to be like you won't be disappointed mm-hmm. like it like it's me you know it's not life and death calls all the time like right. that's certainly right. not the case right but um you know you are for me it, it it didn't disappoint like when i wanted to live my life on the edge and live on the fringe that's certainly that profession certainly provided that for me and i i did this art piece called the circus and it's this paramedic and he's looking at this big circus tent and he's got his kits, and on the top of the circus, it says EMS, and it could say fire, it could say dispatch, because right. it could say anything. But the idea is that you, you know, you wake up, you go to work, and you're in the circus. Like you are doing crazy things and you are experiencing amazing, not just awful, horrible things, but you're mm-hmm. also experiencing incredibly fantastic things. Right. And then your shift is over and you go home. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Right. So it's like you're going to, work in the circus for that shift. And then you go home and it's, I love it. Like it's not, you never know what you're going to see or what you're going to experience. Right. right. And, and that's what I love. That's what I loved about the profession, about this job is that you never really know. And I still was getting calls. And I'm like, God, I've never seen this before after 20 years. Uh-huh. Of course you get lots of calls like, Oh, we're going to do another one of these. Sure. But right. Right. And it's then it's like, wow, I've never, <laughs> I never, experiences before. And that's great. Right. right. I love that. So that's, it's a very dynamic and very exciting job, which I think is why most of us want to get into it. And, and it certainly doesn't, doesn't disappoint. So I'm, I encourage anybody that wants to get into this profession, um, 100% do it. Uh, but of course, be aware of, of the, you know, potential stresses that it's going to have. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're aware and prepare yourself for it, then, then I, then you'll do great. Right.
0: Right. okay. Uh, So I I will say at least as far as in the United States, you know, there's a lot of vacant spots, firefighter applications. Mm -hmm. Hey, we're hiring. And so I thought about it one day. And so where I work, we have my my other firefighter. He's 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 a little bit over a year on. And, you know, he's never really seen like certain things And, you know, I told him, like, hey, you know, just let you know, just be prepared. You know, we're going to run incidences with children, with babies, some bad wrecks, you know, some potentially fatal fires and just kind of be prepared. And then something clicked in my head like, you know what? Every time you scroll through Facebook or Instagram or whatever you use, you see like, you know, the we're hiring ads. This is your salary. This is the shift. These are the benefits, uh, your longevity. But nobody really tells the individual, but this is this is the stuff that we're not telling you you're going to see. So I started, I, I did a PowerPoint for my department where, and I presented it to my training chief and pretty much what I wanted to do was anybody that we hire, hey, congratulations, you made it through, you're hired, you're a firefighter, but this is what this job also entails and that you don't know where the stresses of what you see can potentially affect your family life, your marriage, mm-hmm. the schedule. Um, you're going to miss things when you're on shift because you have to be at work. It's not one of those jobs where, yeah, you can call out sick, but you usually legitimately have to be sick, you know, yeah. it's, you know, because you don't want to leave your fellow man short scrambling to find people to work. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, pretty much where I was going with that is um, – I feel like the American fire service is doing a disservice to people that are attracted to the fire department, but don't really know. Cause a lot of people don't really know what we do. They see it on TV. It looks cool, but like there is a, a, a side where, you know, it's still kind of like the door's halfway open where we're talking about it, but not everybody wants to talk about the mental health aspect of
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. And I think it's congratulations good for you for doing that for your department taking that initiative that's great Thank everyone you. should do that like i think every department should have that and not only make them aware of okay these are potentially some of the things that well these are the things you are going to see right like if you do it you do it enough right like you're going to see dead babies you're going to see dead yep. kids you're going to you are going to be in the presence of people in the worst day of their lives it's going to happen right um so I think acknowledging that, but also giving them the tools of, you know, what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Right. These cause I, I never had any of that. When I was in school I they they never told me what, I think the chapter on mental health was like a paragraph. Um, right. It wasn't very much. So I, I think that's a great thing. Most department, I think schooling, that should be part of a big part of the schooling process. Even before Yep. Um, it should be a big part of, you know, fire training and EMS training, mm-hmm. but it should be a big part of, of departments organizations yep. and not just, you know, a once a year course or, okay, you're, right. you are, you know, you're, you recruits now and, you know, here's your mental health, uh, course that you're going to take and then that's it, Right. but it really should be ingrained into the, the infrastructure of the department where it's normalized where, look, this is, this is something that we, you know, we talk about all the time. This is a part of our operation. Versus, okay, we're just going to checkbox this so that we can show that we're doing something. Right. So, yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge that um, and to have some type of plan of action of, you know, what to do. And, you know, part of that thing that you that you mentioned to them, it could be like, like if this does happen, you know, if we do have calls like this, then this is what is going to happen in our department. Right. This is what we have in place. Uh, so this is what we're going to do um, when these things happen. So you're not surprised. And this is how we we manage these things. And here's some resources. Here's some signs and symptoms of, of, you know, potential stresses, and that really should be normalized in all departments.
0: Right. I think. And, right? and, and I don't know if it's because of what we do that you know firefighters and, and and EMTs or paramedics, you know, we're supposed to be able to handle the stuff that we that we see on on shift and whatnot, but like. The, the, the realization is what we see is not like the human brain shouldn't see what we see. You know, some people need to find out like my avenue, if I have a really bad shift or I had a bad call, I'll, I'll be honest on here on air. I don't call my wife. I might mm-hmm. like downplay the call. She asked what's going on, but I try to call a, a buddy of mine that does this for a living and vent to him and, and you know, talk about it. Uh, me and my cat had this discussion the other day sometimes you know firemen as men don't like to cry crying Mm -hmm. sometimes just helps because you 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 get it out you let it out
1: yeah it's just processing it really and that and that's totally that's you're totally right you're 100 right and it's it's just processing and to because it's funny dan i just did a post about this yesterday on my social media where it's it's i called it you know back of the bus therapy where you're you know, how comfortable are you with your with your platoon or the people you work with or your partner at work to really, okay, I need to talk about this call. I need to and it's not that the other person, you don't need to be a therapist, you don't need to be a counselor, you just need to be an empathetic listener. You just need to listen. You don't, you're not trying to solve, make things better and solve problems, you're just listening because mm-hmm. you just need to process it. You mm-hmm. need to just get it out. And if that involves, you know, processing and feeling those emotions, then do it. Right. Then and, and if you feel comfortable enough in an environment to do that unfortunately many organizations that is stigmatized right and i and i so a lot of people don't feel safe doing that and if you don't Mm -hmm. feel safe you know coming forward or if you don't feel safe um you know expressing those things then by definition that is a psychologically unhealthy work environment and uh you know i think we have a long ways to go for that
0: oh absolutely Um, yes
1: right but it's uh I kind of, I compare it to, you know, as firefighters, if we went and did an entry and the floor fell and we broke our leg, no one's going to say, oh, you should suck it up. You're not a very good firefighter. Right. You, you, know, you have, you have weak femurs. Right. You shouldn't be firefighters. Your <laughs> femurs are weak. Right. Because Joe Beside you fell and he didn't break his femur. Uh, you know, you're a weak firefighter. You're, you broke your femur. You got right. weak femurs. Like no one says that. Of course, that's ridiculous. Right. Right. But for some reason, it's not the same for mental injuries. You no, know, mm-hmm. we go to a call and we see, you know, mangled babies or burnt babies or bent burnt kids or or the, the evil that men and women do to each other. Right. You know, that's and that breaks our mind a little bit, then then yeah, that's you know, then you go get it fixed. You know, go get it fixed and then come back to work. Just like if you were to break your leg, right? But for some reason, if you if you break your mind, you're considered, you know, you can't hack the job. Right. Whereas, Right. Which is, so I always make that comparison to the, to a physical injury. And I, and I don't think it should be any different physical injury or mental injury. It's different for everybody. You and I could be in a structure for, we could do an entry and both fall through the floor and maybe I break my leg and you don't. Mm -hmm. Right. That doesn't mean that you have stronger femurs than I do. It really depends on how we fall. Right. And, and what our predisposing factors are. Right. Um, Right. So it, but no one seems to think that's there's no stigmatization against physical injuries. Right. right. And in fact, sometimes it's the opposite where it's like, Oh, you busted your leg in that fire. Oh, that's great. Right. And mm-hmm. you go in the hospital and man, your brothers and sisters will be there all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you will be mm-hmm. like, you, like that is like a badge of honor. Yep. Right? You're right, like, man. It is the opposite if you break your mind on a call for some you're reason.
0: Right right. right. now you're right. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sure now, like if, if, if firefighters get hurt, they get to the hospital, they stay for, you know, a, a week or a couple of weeks. And then when they, when they're, when they're discharged, there's a line of people clapping for you. Yeah. Like if you were to do that for, Hey, like this call really messed me up. You might have one, two, maybe even no, maybe it's going to be crickets when you get out, it was just going to be looking at you like, is this guy really? Okay. And it is a terrible stigma. Like, yeah. As you stated.
1: yeah. And when you come back, it's like, Oh, are you, Like, can you handle this job? You can't really handle the job. But like for us, when we have firefighters that are, you know, seriously injured or seriously ill, we have a vigil. Like we, one of us will be at that hospital Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day. Like they Mm -hmm. will be unconscious in a coma and one of us will be there 24 hours a day for them. Right. Right. But that won't happen if, if you tried to kill yourself. Right. Right. And you're in the hospital because you tried to kill yourself that for some reason that's not, and let's say you had diagnosed with PTSD due to the work that you do. Where I'm from in Alberta, we have presumptive legislation. So as a paramedic or firefighter, if I get diagnosed, which I was with PTSD, Mm -hmm. it's presumed that it's because of my work. All right. So if I tried to kill myself and I was in the hospital, I can say that nobody would, I can, I can say from my department, people would not be, holding a vigil at my in my hospital room right but if i fell if i was you know if we if we flip the ambulance or if we if i got attacked by someone in the back of the ambulance or if i got injured in a structure fire mm-hmm. um and i was unconscious 100 percent yeah people from my department be uh will be holding a vigil at that at that uh hospital that i was at
0: right right no it makes you think it makes you think it's it's it's, yeah. it's backwards it really is It's messed
1: up it's totally yeah. messed up
0: yeah um yeah yeah, it's weird. Uh, it. Craziness. Um, so uh what are your ultimate goals?
1: Ooh, like generally speaking, like in everything. It,
0: it can be <laughs> it can be whatever you want it to be.
1: Yeah, you know, Danny, I'm uh I'm pretty lucky. Like I I can I can honestly say that if I was to die tomorrow, that I I've lived my I've lived a fulfilling life and this profession has provided that for me, Mm -hmm. that I've seen amazing things. I've done wonderful things. Mm -hmm. I've experienced great and horrible things. So I can really say that I've lived a full life because of this profession. So that goal that I had earlier on in my life, where I want to live a fulfilling life, it's already done. And I I feel really lucky that I can say that, uh, that I'm able to. So I don't, the, the new goals that I have now Mm-hmm. As I'm back in school, I'm learning to become a, I'm in a two-year program to become a, a psychotherapist. And so my new goals are to help change that stigma, mm-hmm. help with that paradigm shift. I want to support you know, the men and women in emergency services with their trauma and associated substance abuse and addictions, mm-hmm. uh, family counseling, you known and grief. And I want to help them as a trained psychotherapist and as their peer and as their brother who has been there, who has been diagnosed. And I want to help them through that. I want to develop workshops and and travel to fire departments and do one or full day workshops, half or full day workshops on promoting mental health, decreasing stigma, helping that paradigm shift and normalizing, um, normalizing that stigma against mental health with the ultimate goal really is to decrease suicides in emergency services.
0: Yeah. And that's a big, that's, yeah. You know, you know uh so over here they you know we uh there's individuals that do stats and they 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 look at the numbers and a lot of people think the number one killer for firefighters is you know getting hurt on the scene yeah. dying in yeah. fires and it's not it is actually we're losing our own to suicide yeah it's yeah that
1: that's crazy. that's we're more likely to die from that than to die to start and die right from uh well i don't right. want to say work because i i my belief if you're a firefighter and and you die from suicide, um, and the trauma that you had was due to the work that you had, that's a workplace injury. Yeah, that's a workplace fatality. I mean, right, no different. So, um, and the statistics for that are are pretty pretty staggering.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, so my big goal too is to is to help organizations become more trauma informed to help support their their staff and their workers. Is okay. another thing I want to do.
0: Awesome. No, I mean that's great. Like I said, you're getting ready to retire, and you're switching. You're gonna you're gonna get your degree in in psych. You said psychotherapy.
1: No, yeah, psychotherapy. Yeah,
0: psychotherapy to help others. So like that, yeah. Because not that many. You know, most people retire and they go and do whatever they want to do. But you're even though you're retiring, you're still giving back to your own, and that's awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm have. You know, I'm I'm gonna be fifty six years old this year. Okay, and you know, I am as passionate. Now, learning about the mental health. Uh, now, the course I'm in isn't specific to trauma or emergency workers. It's very broad in general. Right. But I'm just as passionate about learning about the neuroscience and the modalities to help than I'm, as I was when I was learning to become a firefighter paramedic. Mm-hmm. Like, I have that passion back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how excited I am about learning about this. Because I'm. It's, it's very fulfilling for me. And I really, really believe that I can... I can make a difference and and I'm going to utilize the, you know, the, the influence that I have from doing the artwork, right. That, that, you know, the artwork that I do does promote mental health. That's really what it's about is promoting mental health and lowering stigma and, and, um, supporting our industry. So I want to continue doing that, uh, through continuing, still do that through the artwork, but also do it in through workshops and sessions and psychotherapy and, and that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, the, my kind All of right. my plan.
1: So yeah, it's very exciting.
0: Okay, uh, one thing before I go on to the next question, I'm not sure if the the statistics that I see count Canada, but can you tell us like are your line of duty deaths more, or are your line of duty deaths a result of actual fires, or are you also losing your firefighter paramedics through suicide?
1: Yeah, it's the same. It's the same here. Okay. Yeah. It's the same. Like our, our numbers are lower just because our population is, you know, lower. But st- I, statistically and percentage wise, it's it's the same. So okay. we have we we have um we do have suicides here. Uh, mm-hmm. and on I do a memorial page. I have a separate services memorial page mm-hmm. and I do a memorial portrait every day. Now often I don't ask the cause of death, because uh, it really doesn't matter to right. me. Right, but if they are if you're an emergency worker current or past retired and you die from whatever reason I'm going to do a portrait for you for nothing and I'm going to put it on my page so that people can um see that and but often they do let me know and mm-hmm. a lot of them are suicide and it's not just in Canada this is global okay but many of them are are from suicide okay so it's um yeah it's really it's really scary and I think a lot of those could be preventable. Uh, cause often the cause of those stresses aren't from the calls that we go on. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stresses that emergency workers have that cause that trauma is from workplace environments, like non mm-hmm. like no, traumatic workplace environments or non-traumatically informed work or toxic work environments. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we can change. Like that is a thing that we can alter. And, you know, there's a, I think called, um, sanctuary trauma. So sanctuary trauma is when you have that initial trauma and then you come to a place where you are expecting to have support, but you receive more trauma, that secondary trauma or that sanctuary trauma, where you think it's going to be your sanctuary is a better predictor of long term disability than that primary trauma. So that, and the term sanctuary trauma first came about uh you know when veterans veterans were coming back from war.
0: Okay.
1: And they were they were like, okay, I'm in Vietnam and they look, I I messed up, I need help. And then, you know, they were really land-based when they came back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and that that trauma was was very, you know, that was that was leave left a really heavy toll. And that for our industry, it's similar. Like let's say if you know, you and I are partners and we're, we're on the ambulance and we do a horrific call uh, and then we come back and, you know, we're told, hey, you were, you know, two seconds late on your shoot on that or, you know, you were, right. you, were you know, right. okay, can you, can you guys hurry up and pick up or, or, hey, that wasn't that bad. You know, your our supervisor says, hey, we've, I've done a call like that. It's no big deal. Just get back to work. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're thinking, man, I don't know if we can go back on the road like we're mm-hmm. that because. I have a child that was the same age that looked exactly like that right. kid I saw.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, or there's that stigma of like, look, okay, if you can't hack it, then then you we're to- gonna re- we're gonna remove you from like our our leadership program, or mm-hmm. we're going to, in some cases, you're gonna get fired.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that secondary trauma, that sanctuary trauma, like those are things that are manageable. Like, those are those are controllable stressors. Like Those are things that we can manage. So let's say if we're in a trauma-informed work environment and you and I go do that same call, then that call will automatically be flagged as, okay, this is a halo call, a high-acuity, low-occurrence call. Mm -hmm. There's children of pediatric fatalities involved. So then there's um, automatically something's going to happen, right? Automatically, there's uh, some whatever the department decides on with the help of someone that's trained in how to deal with these things
0: Awesome on an
1: individual basis. And everyone knows, okay, well, this is what's going to happen. Or let's say we have, there's a peer support team or or there's a part of the human resources department that will track these calls. So they're like, hey, Danny's done, Mm -hmm. you know, four pediatric suicides in the last month. We really Mm -hmm. need to check in on him. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: So versus, oh God, Danny killed himself. We're so shocked and surprised. It's like, hey, look at these calls he's done in the last week. Right. Like we should have really... And we as firefighters, we check and document every single call we go on. Right? Except, yep. Like everything. You it's are like, so right. You know, like what time do we the call come in? Mm-hmm. What time do the wheels start rolling? You know, who's on that truck? What yep. did we do? What like everything is time stamped. And there's a sheet for all of that. Yep. Right. But it would be so it'd be simple to if you have those, okay, what are we going to determine to be the high acuity, low occurrence calls? Or what are we going to determine to be halo calls? And let's say that call we went on was a halo call, then that's tracked. Okay, who's on that truck? What happened? Um, and there's a log for that, just like anything else, right? It's like, hey, Daniel, you've intubated this many people this year, you've gone into this many, you've done this many entries, you've done this many vehicle um, extrications this year, you know, you've done, this is how many halo calls you've done. mm mm-hmm. It's like, and you know, there's many of us that have, like, sometimes you go on a call and it's like, yeah, you just, you just get shit calls all the time. And there's right. other people that get nothing, right? Right, right. So that could be easily tracked where it's like, hey, yeah, Dan's, Dan's had a lot of really scary calls lately. Uh, we need to just check in on him. Nine times out of 10, I'm going to be like, yeah, no, I'm fine. Stop bothering me. Right. But subconsciously, I'm like, hey, the department is watching out for me. Right. So and that's an easy thing that can be done. It's not going to cost the department any money to do that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of time resources, but we track all that stuff, anyways.
0: Right. So small no, things,
1: right. small things like that, which are ingrained into the the structure of the department, instead of just okay, this we're going to do a weekend mental health awareness. Right. That's for everybody. It seems like everyone's doing that. Yes. That's what everyone does Mm -hmm. versus that where it's, it's it's actually part of the operational procedure, like system. Right. Where we have, you know, we have a working group that's, that's um, main job is to promote mental awareness and psychologically healthy work environments. And that's what we do. And we follow these mandates. Like that's an example of what some departments are doing. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a part of the normal operations to help, decrease those controllable stressors which are often the cause of trauma for many of us which potentially could result in death by suicide.
0: Yeah. Now I definitely think you hit it on the nail with that cuz you're right. Um though you're right with we 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 keep records on everything we do from calls, hydrants, building inspections, public uh you know community outreach all that stuff but we don't really have a program necessarily that'll track hey such and such was on like six calls this year that were pretty terrible we need to check in on them i mean i agree with that because i can say uh, I've, i've been on some bad calls which you know definitely ruins the mood it's it stinks but i keep in the back of my head i didn't cause this i'm here to help mitigate it but it still sucks but yeah. I will say, once I got married and I we have we have me and my wife we have a daughter, like mm-hmm. kid calls now I look at it so much differently, right? Because I can picture myself being that parent in regards to that kid, and it's it it definitely and I, and I, that's why I tell um I told the the people that I've taken my I've shown my PowerPoint to I was like it might not bother you now, but when you have a kid or some sort of uh, if something happens within your life that you can relate to on that call, it's, it's, you're going to see it differently. You're going to look at it. Yeah.
1: Differently. And that's why I also think it's important for organizations not to just do like a blanket. Okay. Well, if you guys went on this call, then you are automatically going to be off the car. You're automatically going to, you know, we're also, you're done for the rest of your shift because let's say you and I are working together and you know, we go to a call where, you know, they're exactly like your daughter. It's going to, affect you differently that's gonna affect me so i might be no i'm totally good let's keep working Mm -hmm. and you're like no man i i can't this this call i need to go hug my daughter right um so it really needs to be individualized and and there is a way to do that Mm -hmm. like there is a process to because you also can't say okay well what do you want to do do you want to go off shift so even in your like in most cases like i don't i don't know you but in most cases if you ask a firefighter hey after this call do you want to go home they're not going to say yes. Like exactly. they're just like, no, I'm going to stay because I'm, I'm tough. Stay. I can, That's I right. can deal with it. Like because I don't want to.
0: I don't want to look wanna
1: sh- weak. I don't want to look weak. Mm-hmm. Right versus, hey, you know you're, you know, we're going to keep you off the car for this amount of time or something or whatever. Right. But there should be some type of policy in place for that. And there's a lot of organizations and a lot of things that that organizations can or a lot of resources that organizations can use for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least if there's something in place, it's better than nothing. Right. And w- the worst case scenario would be, uh, Hey, Danny, I know you guys went on that call where that, you know, that girl died that looked and was exactly like your daughter, but we need you guys to get back on the, uh, right. on the road, uh, you know, clean up your ambulance and mm-hmm. get ready to go back on the road because, you know, we have a, something else you guys need to, we have like a, a wait and return, right. knee Need transfer to go on. Right. And you're like, man, I need to process this. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to, I don't want to look weak. I don't want to, but again, it's no different than, Hey, Danny, I know that, uh, that structure fire, you broke your femur, but can you just, uh, walk it off? And we have another, <laughs> we have another, uh, we have another alarms call.
0: Oh, if you can yeah. just
1: kind of walk off that broken femur and right. uh, let's get back to work.
0: Right. 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 Okay. Uh, in, in, in your opinion, what do you think, what key elements or factors do you think anybody that's looking to come into this profession need in order to I don't want to say survive but in order to be a good either firefighter or paramedic to their peers
1: uh you need to have passion for the job you need to love the job um you need to be i think you need to be aware have a realistic expectation of what's going to happen uh, i think a, a certain maturity level is needed um and you have to if it's if it's if you're asking for how what is needed to be a good peer or a good mm-hmm. coworker? Mm-hmm. then yeah, you need to have some empathy for your, and compassion for your, for the people you work with. Right. And unfortunately, that's another thing that I've seen change quite a bit over the past 20 years. Absolutely. Right. Where it's, where it's like, no man, I got your back no matter what. It's like, Hey man, I'm going to stab you in the back to get promoted if I have mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So yep. it's,
1: unfortunately that's, that's kind of, I've seen that happen. Yeah. And again, not just in my department, but in. Like again, I'm lucky that I get to travel around the world and speak to thousands of our peers. And this is what I'm told. This is what I what I right. hear. Right. Is that there is not and again, it's not like that everywhere. I'm the one to say that it's like that. Right, Yeah. Everywhere. like some many of the departments I've been at have been amazing. And they've like the it really is a family department. And then they really do support and love each other as if they were family. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of departments that used to be like that and aren't like that anymore.
0: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So
1: unfortunately that's, and that can be, you know, that's, that might be the norm or the culture in, in the department and you're in mm-hmm. the department that you're in, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you have to be that way.
0: Right. 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 So
1: to, to be that way for your peers that you work with, um, then that's your choice. You know, you, that, that's an individual choice to, are you going to be supportive or are you going to stab someone on the back to make them look bad, to make you look better? Mm-hmm sadly that might that pot that that might actually work in some departments to get promoted oh yeah I mean, that's what that's yeah. why people do it yeah but uh you know if, if that if you can do that um and you're you can look at yourself in the mirror to be that way then then you probably deserve to be in that department right
0: right so right.
1: i think if uh a good quality emergency work services person is someone that that is empathetic to their co-workers is aware and recognizes the benefits that they that they bring to the department, uh, positive reinforcement of of good work that they do instead of negative reinforcement all the time, mm-hmm. which again a lot of departments are focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that that I did in my department uh, was, um, I I went to like a we we'll call it Value Village, which is like a secondhand. Like you go and you get stuff really, really cheap. Like people right, donate. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, you went on mute. That's crazy. I can hear you now.
1: Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep, there yep, was, gotcha. Yeah. There was some really weird feedback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I went and bought this bowling trophy, this used bowling trophy. It was the biggest, ugliest bowling trophy. And I went and I also bought a a fire truck, like a toy fire truck. It was like two bucks. I glued it to this trophy, this bowling trophy. Okay. And I used it as kind of a peer recognition award. Mm-hmm. So when somebody that I saw did a really good job, uh in what I consider to be to be really good, uh either supporting either good as what they were supposed to do, or they were very supportive of, of their peers or they're very supportive of the community. Then I gave it to them like, look, this is, this is because I recognize what you did on the last call and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, And it, the idea is to pay it forward. So now mm-hmm. they have this trophy. They have this ugly bowling trophy. They have to stick it on their locker. They have to display it on their locker. So I said, there's two rules. You need to display this on your locker. So everyone knows that you are the current recipient and now you need to, Pay that forward, so you need to look for something that you recognize in your peers that have done a great job. It could be either a call you've done or, or or whatever you deem to be, um, trophy worthy, and then you reward it to them, and then that goes on to their locker. So the great thing with that, is that it's peers supporting peers. All right, so it's it's not management, you know, giving you an award or which is also fantastic. Right. And and manager should do that for positive reinforcement, but there's nothing to say that we can't do peer to peer positive reinforcement as well. And that is something like that trophy cost me four bucks, cost right. me $4 to do. Right. And people loved it. Like they loved it. Um, And it was kind of, it was, a, I got, it was really big. So people knew who the current recipient was, because you had to put it on your locker mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, and it, it worked. It was, it was a really good initiative. And it, and it kind of increased our morale a little bit in our department okay because um, we didn't really need it it was it was us patting each other's backs instead of expecting reinforcement from a job well done from from our supervisors right our officers, right? right so that's something you know that that peers can do and he doesn't have to be a trophy you can just be hey right. I is that you did an awesome job in that call right uh you know great
0: work right right and yeah, yeah. so sometimes sometimes uh uh, uh A uh, a good job, a job well done. Good job, and Attaboy. Whether it's from your from your peers or I mean, it's it's awesome when it comes from your your administration when they see that it goes a long way.
1: Yeah, right. And the flip the flip side of that is, you know, our biggest I think mostly like in the fire service where there's you know the platoons are usually are bigger Mm -hmm. is the is the fear of not being a contributing member of that team or to letting that team down is a huge fear. It was for me anyways. And I think that can, that's felt for many people right? that look, when we're going to, we're going to go do this call. I need to pull my weight Mm -hmm. because I don't want people to think that I, that I can't do the job because their lives depend on me. So I think that that peer to peer relationship um, is really, really important. So to, to get to hear that from a peer of, you know, someone that's on my platoon it's like, hey, Dan, you did an awesome job on that, on that alarm call we did. Mm-hmm. Like you, that was, that was great. Uh, or, you know, if you were, if you're the pump operator, the engineer and you're the hose guy, you know, the water pressure is perfect. Like everything was just the way you wanted it, right. right? Instead of just expecting, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. I you know, can talk to the engineer. I'm like, hey, man, you did not like, when I needed the water, man, it was there. Right. The pressure was great. The pressure right. was perfect. Right. Um, You know, you really helped me do that. Right. Yep. You yep. We never do that because it's just
0: expected. Exactly. I'll tell you that that's one position. I know I'm a firm believer. That's one position where when everything goes right, you never hear anything. But if God forbid something goes wrong, that hose never gets charged or something. They're looking for that engineer. Yeah,
1: Or if it's not, you don't have the pressure. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but no one really. And man, that is a stressful our department was small enough that we had to rotate through all those depart all those positions. Okay. So one day I'd be the I'd be the pump operator and you know the next day I'd be the hose man. And uh-huh. so really we all played all roles, right? So it's Man, that is a lot of pressure as a pump operator or an engineer, and engineer. I know you guys call them engineers there, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that's got to be done if you're going to structure fire as an engineer. Like you got to set up a lot, like you are friggin' busy.
0: Yep. And you're doing it by yourself. Usually and you're doing
1: it by yourself. And mm-hmm. you're like, man, you got to get water. You can part flowing water, but then you got to get a supply source and you gotta get everything working. Right. Because when those guys are in there and they're asking for water, they better friggin' get water. Yeah. Right. So so once all right. that works. And the engine sounds good and you can feeling like yeah this is things are going good mm-hmm. everything's plugged in all mm-hmm. the levels are good you're just making sure everything is good then then that's great so how to have someone come back and how hard is that like how hard is an entry team or an officer that was in that entry team to come out to the to the pump operator and say hey man that was good job on on right. getting water to us that was awesome right versus and i've heard this too i shouldn't have to thank you for doing your job Uh, yes i've heard i've heard officers say that too (laughs) right which is man how hard is it to say to 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 give some positive reinforcement because by doing that that's going to make that pump operator engineer even better like that's going to make them feel better it's going to make them more productive um so small things like that can be like we can do that for each other
0: absolutely absolutely awesome um I don't really need to ask you the last one because we've already talked about what the fire and EMS world can improve on. So yeah. there's no need for going down that hole. But what I'd like to do at the end of this is if there's anything you want to want to let the listeners know, anything you want to say, I, I also do what I call shameless plugs. Let people know how they okay. can see your artwork, how they can contact you. It, the, the, the mic's yours.
1: Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, so I, my artist name is Danson. It's the first three letters of my first and last name. So D-A-N-S-U-N. So danceonphotos.com is my website. Um, And I'm on all the social media stuff. Now I do have, I do a conference every year. So I do have a conference coming up in the Rocky Mountains in Canmore this October 22nd, 23rd, and the conference is on post-traumatic growth. So I'm inviting many of my, and the speakers that are coming are people that I know that I've met Mm -hmm. uh, through my travels that have gone through trauma but are now experiencing post traumatic growth which is something that we don't talk too much about but it's you have that traumatic experience or that long continuous stressors that has now impaired you into trauma you get the work done and you recover but it's if the 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 how easily you recover is based on your resiliency but the goal isn't to just we re- go back to the way you were uh but it's through post-traumatic growth, by doing the work, you can actually become better than you were before the initial trauma was. And I see that all the time. I'm living proof of that. And I recognize that in my peers all the time. So what I do is I invite these men and women to come and speak at this conference every year who speak on, um, you know, where they work, the, what they did, how they got their trauma, the signs and symptoms they had from that, how it affected their families. But more importantly, what they did to get better and what they're doing, how their life is actually better because of that. So this conference is uh, yeah, October 22nd, 23rd. Um, I have some amazing uh, speakers coming. Ben Vernon, he's a firefighter in, in California. He's a buddy of mine and he was actually stabbed while working
0: and oh, they got okay. it all on
1: body cam and he's, he's, he does a great presentation on that. Okay. Um, I have uh, a friend, Heather from Las Vegas, who was one of the paramedics involved in the shootings there in October
0: Oh, okay,
1: um, okay. My buddy George is a paramedic firefighter who was at nine eleven. Um, my friend Marissa, who's a paramedic in Australia, is going to come uh, and talk about her childhood trauma that's come, and now she's doing amazing. She has a very popular podcast actually in Australia, and so she's really turned that into similar to what you're doing. You're really turning, you're you're doing um, promoting the mental health and awareness yeah. of a lot of things that are happening in our right uh, in our field. Um, Alexandra, who's a paramedic firefighter, who's now a, a PhD, um, she does a lot of work with firefighters um, and death notifications. So these are all people that I've met through my travels that um, that they're going to come and talk at my conference. And I'm already seventy five percent sold out. Awesome! it would be great to see. Uh, awesome. See some more people from from the United States there. But, anyways, you can get information there on my website. On my okay. symposium, it's called the Peer Recovery and Resiliency Symposium.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, Daniel, like I said, I, I appreciate you you reading my invite and going. Yeah, sure, absolutely, oh, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. I will. Awesome, yeah. it was awesome. I had a good time. Hopefully, the listeners enjoyed this one. Um, I think this this topic needs to be heard a lot more within the fire service, so we can lower those LODD deaths by suicide. Yes. Um, But I appreciate you having you on here. Uh, I'm going to keep you after I end it, just just to wrap up privately. Yep. But uh, I definitely appreciate you, sir.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Danny. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Thank you. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.